0: decades of ministry behind us remembering the many men and women who followed God's call to open our church doors to share Christ's love with our community. Let me tell you a little bit about what God has done at FBC through many faithful followers. In 1942 a small group of Christian believers met in a trailer court and organized the First Baptist Church of Benicia. On October 22, 1942 FBC held their first service in the Eagles Hall until a property was purchased on East 2nd Street. A tent was erected on the property where meetings were held as the building was built with the assistance of many volunteers. The total cost of the building was approximately $20,000. <laughs> when completed in 1947, FBC continued to thrive and grow over the decades. Pastor Marshall Lucky came in 1971 and helped lead the church faithfully, including the initiation of Project Move Ahead with God, a step of faith to transition to a new location. In 1978, the congregation voted to sell their property and purchase land on Southampton Road, a rapid, rapidly growing area in need of a neighborhood church. Pastor David Clark then served from 1979 to 1991. We moved into the new church on Southampton Road. Boys' Brigade and Pioneer Girls began for students kindergarten to eighth grade, with our students bringing their friends to club once a week. In 1988, Pastor Clark brought Pastor Scott Henning on as our first official youth pastor. In 1989, our church raised enough funds to build the Fellowship Hall, or better known as the Friendship Hall now. Pastor Scott Henning served as youth pastor until 1992 when our congregation voted to call him to be lead pastor of FBC. He served as lead pastor until December of 2015. Pastor Scott's fingerprints are all over FBC to this day, including our ministry to Benicia Middle School and the Red Awning Cafe. After a year of transition in 2016 with interim pastor Mike Anderson, the church called Pastor Matt in early 2017 as lead pastor. As important as pastors are and buildings are, the real story of FBC is about God's work in Benicious people of the church. Ephesians 2:12-13 says that church leaders are to equip the people of God for ministry. So this morning, we remember how God has used the people of FBC over the years to share the gospel and love of our city in Jesus' name. We celebrate the generous giving and financial contributions of so many who have gone before us to purchase and pay for the property we enjoy today, to support the annual budget and our missionaries. We celebrate those who have prayed for this church and our witnesses here in Benicia. We celebrate those who have been saved, came to know Jesus, and were baptized in this church. We celebrate those who have served over the years teaching Sunday School, Leading VBS, Red Awning Cafe, Friendship Club, Youth Ministry, Kids' Choir, Walk Through Bethlehem, Supporting Children Through Compassion in Togo, and more. Our purpose remains unchanged. We exist to glorify God by fulfilling the great commandment, Matthew 2236 36-40. Love God, love people, and the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go and make disciples of all nations. We are eager to see how God will move and work through his people in the next 80 years. Who will will he raise up to lead the church? Who will give and pray and serve? What new names, stories, ministries will be mentioned at the 160th anniversary of FBC? (laughs) We can't wait to find out.
1: Thank you, thank you. And we just have a, just a quick video, a few minutes, just to show you the history of FBC.
2: We'll rise up
3: Good morning and welcome once again to FBC. We're so glad that you're here on this special day. We have a a number of special guests that you're going to get to hear from up front. It's my privilege to introduce uh, the first one for us. He was the pastor here at FBC from 1979 until 1991, so 12 years of faithful ministry and leadership here in Benicia. He originally was called when the church was still meeting at the old building, the church of Baskin Robbins down there off of East 2nd Street, uh, and then led uh, through the transition to this building, was the first pastor to lead here to preach in this pulpit uh, here in Southampton. And so uh, I've heard he's a about as tall as me. We haven't done official measurements, but uh, we'll see. He's up there. And it's my great privilege to introduce and welcome up uh, Pastor David Clark.
4: So congratulations, First Baptist of Benicia, on 80 years. Not every church lasts so long. So a wonderful, wonderful occasion. Uh, mention was made of my predecessor in this position, Marshall Lucky. Not all of you will know that Marshall died while serving as pastor here. And his, his family, um, Ruth and Phil, and their kids and their friends We're really the people who held this together at that time. And uh, so I just want to pay tribute to them as well. I don't know, I'm surprised (laughs) at all. (laughs) All the emotion. So anyway, Um, I'm pleased to be here. My wife will introduce uh, Jill over here. And we've been married for 18 years, and she has so tremendously enriched my life. Uh, She is a psychologist. And uh, there is a great advantage to being married to a psychologist. I can get therapy seven days a week, 24 hours a day, at no cost, whether I want it or not. And right now, some of you are thinking, he finally got the help he needed. (laughs) So, yes, I was pastor when the church is located downtown and during the time when we moved here and built the new addition as well, which is now the Friendship House? Room. Room, okay. So I want you to know that my part in these enormous projects of building and relocating here was that I kept out of the way. (laughs) I let the people who knew what they were doing do it. And uh, during the time that I was pastor here, there were some really amazing things that took place. It's already been mentioned that uh, boys' brigade, pioneer girls were begun, um, a ministry, to uh, a women's ministry was begun here, vacation Bible school, a children's choir, uh, a visitation evangelism ministry, a softball team. We sent a family from this church as missionaries to Haiti. We, we mentored a man from this congregation who went on to become pastor of First Baptist of Richmond. We actually moved the entire lawn of the Mormon congregation over here, outside this building. It's called the Mormon Grass. (laughs) And I want you to know that in every single one of those instances, the way it all happened was someone came to me and said, I'd like to start this ministry. And I'd say, that's a great idea. Let's do it, I'll go to the board and get the approval. And then it happened. So all those things took place, not because I started any of them, but because the people of this church stepped forward in response to the prompting of God to develop these wonderful ministries that touched so many lives. So it's a a wonderful thing to think about how God has been at work In this congregation all these years. Um, So I want to, to again thank you for the privilege of being here and to say what a blessing it's been to have served in the life of this church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done here at First Baptist of Benicia, for all the people who participated in the life of this church, for all the lives that have been touched here in this community, and in the very distant lands of the earth. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to this church, and pray that you will continue to lead this congregation as they trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well,
3: in 1991, as Pastor Clark was called elsewhere, the church was in a time of Transition and rather than looking to the outside and bringing in a new pastor from elsewhere, the leadership here realized quickly that they already had a pastor on staff and his name was Scott Henning, who was called in 1988 as youth pastor and then in 1992 stepped into the senior pastor role and served here until December of 2015. So when you add it all up, it's almost 30 years of ministry in this place. And let me just say too... Pastor Scott and Christy have shaped this place in countless ways. Truly, their fingerprints are all over. And Amber and I reflect often about how much we love this church and the people of this church and the warmth and the love and the grace and just the welcome of this church to everyone that comes through these doors. And we often will think about Scott and Christy because a culture like that, a heart of a church like that doesn't just happen. It starts at the top. And this place is the way it is today, so loving, so kind, so gracious because that's who Scott and Christy are and that's how they led and that's why this church is the way that it is. And, and as a young guy stepping into a first lead pastor opportunity here at FBC, I just can't tell you how grateful I am uh, that Scott was my predecessor because he has done nothing but cheer me on and encourage me and celebrate what's, what God is doing here. And so he, he loves this church uh, he loves you, and it's just a joy to welcome back Pastor Scott.
5: I love you, Pastor Matt. You yeah. guys, you know how lucky you are. Yeah. Oh my goodness! And Pastor Lou and, and Pastor Darren, and I forgot the new all the new names. And I have to say thank you to David, Pastor Clark, for giving me the opportunity to come here. I wouldn't have been here without that. Let me begin this morning with a few. Let me begin by just also pointing out my sweetheart, Christy, who's sitting by Tom. All of you know that without her, well, she was my best cheerleader and my best proofreader, and creativity and all of those things. I wouldn't have stayed, I don't think, without her help. Let me begin with a couple selections from 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The message of the cross appears weak, but it's nothing less than the power of God. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. We carry this treasure of the good news in the clay pots of our ordinary lives to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not us. So it's been said, I was called to be the youth pastor in 1988. In spite of all the silly things we did, and we did our share, my intention was to invite students to surrender their lives to the cross of Christ, and to challenge them to the daily commitment of reaching the full stature of maturity in Christ, preparing them to serve Jesus. So when Pastor Clark accepted the call to San Luis and I was asked to fill the interim and then be the pastor in January of 92, I was, uh, I was surprised because you know, I am, I am just a sinner as ordinary as they come, saved by Christ's unimaginable grace. At the same time, I'm a person under Christ's authority. And so, even though I didn't seek the role of pastor, because I would have never felt worthy to have done it, because Jesus' people called me, I accepted. I was scared to death. I still am every time I stand up here. My feet sweat. I came to you in weakness with much trembling. You see, I didn't graduate from seminary with honors. I had little preaching experience. You all put up with a lot of bad sermons. I'm not a rhetorical preacher. Organization and personal management weren't strengths, and I certainly didn't have natural leader attributes or the stature of my predecessor and the one who follows me. Add to that that I was young and immature, and you guys were in for a wild ride. But I believe the message of the cross is the power of God. Where my self-confidence lacked, I trusted that the good news message is greater than the messenger. But I also believe in the church. A people called out to belong to God a people called for relationship with God, and a people who are called together to be a visible, local, living community where loving, accepting, and forgiving one another actually occurs. I also believe that we are called to a goal. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 4. The Holy Spirit enables us to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow. So, you know, the truth is that any number of persons might have been asked to reflect on the time that I was privileged to serve here, and some of you could have done a better job. Because you see, the church was never about me. It was about you. It was about the people who, led by the Holy Spirit, responded to Christ in loving service to others. Naming names would take too long, and I'd forget to mention someone, so I'm not going to, and I'm reading because if I started rambling, we well, you would have to get your sleeping bag. <laughs> the church always has been and always will be the mystery of ordinary people, enlivened by the Holy Spirit to be the incarnate body of Christ to their generation. That's who you are. So when FBC hired me in 1988, It represented on the part of this church a commitment to disciple teen youth. You've all recently asked one of those teens of 1988 to lead your children. I have hope for you and for your future. This community, believers, still has an eye to call people, adults, teens, and children, to trust Christ and to surrender to his kingship. So I'll end my words this morning with the words of British pastor David Watson. He wrote, often in the history of the church, the pattern has been the same. God breathes into his church fresh life by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. People like it. They organize it. They regiment it. And the patterns, therefore, continue for decades, if not centuries, after the Holy Spirit has quietly made his departure. But God's plan is for renewal. The church must always be on the move, always committed to the gospel, and relevant to today's world. In 2022, many people prefer virtual worship entertainment over the local church, the ordinary local gathering of believers, you and me. It's less messy than putting up with sinner saints. But I celebrate you today for your commitment to be a local living body of Christ, present in a real community, giving witness to those people in this neighborhood to the good news of God's love. My dear friends, I believe in the cross of Christ and its power, and I believe in you, the called out people of God in Venetia. I'm encouraged to see Paul's words to the Corinthian church come to fruition. He wrote, I passed on to you that which also had been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins. And those words turn us to the special meal we call the Lord's Supper. You each got one of these. I'm not used to these yet. And I don't ever want to get used to them, but I guess <laughs> for the season, we will use it. So you might want to get this out and get your bread ready. We've got to get all these tabs ready. We eat this meal so that we never will forget who we are and who Christ is. Romans 5 tells us four things about ourselves. Tells us that our situation was hopeless. We were helpless to fix our spiritual condition, Paul writes. Secondly, he says we were ungodly. God's character and values are not our natural character or values. Third, it says we're sinners, which simply means that we always miss the target. We aim, but we always miss. And finally, it said we were enemies of God. I don't know what you think of yourself. It's pretty popular to say we're basically good. (laughs) Scripture says we're basically ruined and hopeless. And as you take this bread this morning, that's your testimony. I come to the table empty-handed. You come to the table empty-handed. We bring nothing. But secondly, it reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both morally perfect and the love of God's unchanging character. And so those two things, God's moral perfection and his unchanging love, lead us to the cross of Christ, because the cross was the solution to reconciling perfect morality, and unchangeable love. In Christ, God became our representative, and as a man, Christ bore my sin and yours, and willfully accepted the consequences that sin brought on us all, death. As God justified us in Christ's death, he took our guilt, we were all guilty, but the debt was paid. Christ took my place and yours. And so we come to this table, as I said, empty handed. But at the table, our hands are full and our lives receive the greatest gift. Scripture says that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we bow before you. We are amazed that someone as beautiful and as perfect and as whole as you would take on our life so that you could take on the consequence of our sin. Lord, as we eat this bread, We confess the reality that we had nothing to bring. But at the cross, you did everything for us. Thank you. Amen. Jesus' body was broken for you. Would you eat this bread believing? Scripture goes on to say that after supper, Jesus took a cup and once again, after he had given thanks, he said, this cup represents the new covenant of my blood. Washes the way, washes away the stain of sin. Jesus' blood was shed for you. As you drink this cup, be confident that your record, your past record that held you guilty has been washed clean. Let's pray again, Lord, Lord Jesus. Once again, we stop to say thank you. May we never take for granted, and we may we never forget, Lord, the cost of your gift to us. But I also pray that you will help us believe it, trust it every day, that we might live in the freedom the name of Jesus and so we drink this cup in remembrance of Christ until we share this meal with him again and that day we look forward to in remembrance of Christ I want to invite you to do something with me as we close this time I'm going to say a line kind of like a wedding forgetting I can't. I'm used to this one, you know. Here it goes. I'll say a line, you say it if you want. I am God's work of art, I am God's work of art created, in Jesus, created in Christ Jesus, to live the resurrection life. To live the resurrection life. As, from the As from the beginning, he intended for me to live it.
3: We really could end the service right here, right? What else is left to say? Um, and yet I'll try uh, to continue. <laughs> really, uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here currently. And just, uh, it's such a joy to have you with us on this special day. Uh, would you open with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 20, verse seven, where we're gonna spend a few moments together. Again, Acts chapter 20, verse seven. And as you're finding that text, um, really, you've already sensed just the joy and celebration of this day. And I could go on and on uh, personally about how uh, how grateful I am to serve here at FBC. But let me just say uh, personally how grateful I am for for Pastor Scott and Pastor David and their ministry here. And um, they're, them individually, of course, we celebrate. And also, as you've heard from them share, uh, they represent eras and decades in the life of the church where God was at work through you And so we celebrate them, but we also celebrate the countless men and women who led and served and gave and prayed and, and reached out and invited and showed up and just continued the work of ministry in this place to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. And so it's truly uh, a day to celebrate that we're here today, right, because of the grace and the power of God uh, and uh, the faithfulness of so many who have gone before us, right? We, we truly stand On their shoulders with gratitude. Today also pairs perfectly with our current sermon series, right? We've been spending some time looking at this idea of love your church, where we want to talk about the joy and the privilege and the responsibility of being the local church, kind of recapturing a sense of what God is calling us to in our day. Uh, this is week three of that series and week three of the book that we're studying along with it of that same title, Love Your Church. And in our short time together this morning, I'm going to preach about half as long as I normally do. Uh, so we only got a few minutes here. We got to fly. Uh, I want to tell you the story of the time the guest preacher in church killed a kid in the youth group. It wasn't here. Don't worry. It wasn't here. It was in the first century in the city of Troas, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, tells us the story. Look at it with me. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, He fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now, I must admit, this is a rather strange passage to preach and read Together here on the 80th anniversary celebration of our church. I assure you, there were a few times leading up to today that I said, Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure this is the one? You sure this is the message? And he said, Yes. And ultimately, I chose it because I wanted you to know that no matter how long or bad this sermon is, it could be worse. Could be worse. But these peculiar events we read of are found in the book of Acts, which if you're familiar with the book, it chronicles the the birth and growth of the church, how the Jesus movement after his resurrection is empowered by the spirit and explodes in the ancient Mediterranean world. And we see followers of Jesus spread and churches planted and the gospel going forth. And what we read this morning is part of Paul's third missionary journey as the apostle Paul and Luke and others traveled around planting churches and encouraging churches. And here they come to Troas in Acts chapter 20, and they spend a week there. And I want you to picture this night. They're gathered together as the church on this spring evening in the Mediterranean. Troas was a beautiful port city, uh, not unlike Benicia, right on the water. Believers, after working a long day, like we came together in the evening here for worship and fellowship and a meal and teaching from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul himself was the guest speaker that day, and he spoke until midnight. So again, if you think the sermon goes on, it could be worse. He talks on and on, the text affectionately tells us. And then verse 9 says, this poor young man, Eutychus, falls asleep, falls out a window to his death, three stories down. Now, we're here this morning because I believe in a surprising way, this text actually tells us a lot about what it means to be the church, what we should be about and committed to, what the early church was doing, and what we today should continue doing. And there's two angles to that. The first angle to that is we look at the church of the ordinary. We look at how many things in the text are unspectacular, are ordinary, right? What do we see them doing? Some normal things. First, they're gathering on the first day of the week. A commitment to gather once a week is not necessarily wild and crazy. It's rather a rather ordinary commitment. You see verse 7 tells us that on the first day of the week, they came together to break bread. So they gathered on the first day of the week. And this is actually the first place in the book of Acts where Sunday worship is referenced Now we remember the Old Testament, we know that the people of God, the Jews, right, would gather uh, for worship and rest on Saturday. That was when the Sabbath was practiced. And yet we see here in Troas and in the life of the early church that their uh, primary gathering for worship and fellowship and teaching was on Sunday, the first day of the week. Why? What prompted such a massive change? It was the resurrection, right? The resurrection of Jesus. The women on the the first day of the week went to the tomb and they found it empty and they encountered the risen Jesus. And that was so spectacular, it changed everything. And so the early church started gathering once a week on the first day of the week. Ever since, this has been part of our story. As the great modern day scholar and theologian Kanye West has said, the weak start on Monday, but the strong start on Sunday. It's true, right? That's modeled here. Wow, thank you. That's modeled here in the New Testament, in Troas and elsewhere. Now, Pastor Tony Evans, you might know the name. He's often said, hey, I've heard people say, hey, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't need the weekly gathering to follow Jesus. And he says they're absolutely right. He says salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. But he goes on, You don't have to go home to be married, but stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected, right? And so it's this ordinary commitment to gathering on the first day of the week that is central to who we are as a people. Now, the text tells us what the people of God were doing in Troas that first day of the week, doesn't it? Verse 7 says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. They're eating food. But as we read in the New Testament about breaking bread, we know that it's not just an ordinary meal, a casual snack. It's a family meal. It's actually the family meal. When we see that language, it's identifying the Lord's Supper. It's identifying this act of communion, what we just participated in, granted in a kind of different way today with our little wafer and cup and packets, but they were taking the Lord's Supper, remembering what Jesus had done for them. If you remember the Last Supper, Jesus in the upper room gathered there with his disciples before he goes to the cross and he takes the bread and he takes the cup and he tells them how this points to him, his body and his shed blood for us. And he says, as often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. And so as we take the elements, as the church there was was having uh, a meal together, breaking bread, it's proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns It's reminding the church of their foundation, of Christ as the cornerstone in his work. It's reminding the church of their unity, right? The unity that we share as a people is because of Christ. And again, often in the life of the church, taking communion, historically, incorporated a meal. Not just a wafer and cup. But we notice how God takes something so ordinary, like a meal, like food, and uses it to teach us. And nourish us and instruct us. Think about how often we see important meals in scripture. The Passover in Exodus. Jesus feeding the crowd of 5,000 in his ministry. The last supper. The last breakfast at the end of John that we saw a few weeks ago, right? So often we see God powerfully use food to teach us about our need for him. Think even today about how many special moments in our lives include food, right? When we come together to celebrate, celebrate a birthday, a wedding, a special date night out, a party, right? What's always included? It's people and food and people and food and food and people, right? And that's what we do, especially as good Baptists, right? A potluck, we're about to have a rager over there, right? That's what we do. We come together, people and food. And even notice, I love this, this just... This is just a little extra side note. Verse 11, after Eutychus falls out the window and is raised to life. Look at verse 11. Then he went back upstairs, excuse me, he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. So so they're breaking bread, they're eating, they're fellowshipping together till midnight. Eutychus dies. He falls out of the window. Paul runs down, raises him back to life. It's a miracle. And they say, what should we do now? You guys want to go back upstairs and eat again? (laughs) (laughs) And they do. Okay. They're breaking bread. It's about celebrating the Lord's Supper, this foundational reality of our life as a church, the work of Christ, and also just basic fellowship and community coming together around the table as we're about to do as we eat a delicious breakfast, or excuse me, delicious lunch ahead. So some of our ordinary commitments, right? Gathering weekly, breaking bread, having a meal together, Lastly, there's the teaching component. You see that in verse 7? On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people. And because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. So we see from the very early days of the church that the teaching of the Word of God, the apostles' teaching was foundational. Acts chapter 2 tells us, right, that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so as Paul is traveling around the ancient world, naturally, they want to hear him teach and proclaim the gospel and apply the word of God to their lives. And the rest of the New Testament models this practice, that as the people of God come together, the word of God is central. And the power in this place is not found in the preacher, right? It's not about David or Scott or me or whoever follows me, the power is in the unchanging word of God, the eternal word of God that he uses by his spirit to change us and transform us and shape us and show us the truth about who we are and about our world and about who God is. And I love, again, this is reinforced in verse 11 again, again, Eutychus falls out the window, dies, dies, Raised back to life, miracle, go upstairs and eat. Also, verse 11, they, he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. Okay, so Paul's talking on and on until midnight. Guy falls out a window, dies. They go back upstairs. He's like, let's talk some more. And he talks until daylight. He continues in the teaching of the word of God. Now, don't misunderstand me when I say that the teaching of the word of God is is ordinary, Absolutely, we have eternal supernatural truths here, how God uses his word to transform our minds and change our hearts and, and lead us forward. But I, my point is that not every sermon you hear is going to noticeably and dramatically change the direction of your life. Right? There are plenty of Sundays where you go home and you're like, OK, you know, that, that, was, that sermon was OK, you know, helpful, appreciated and, and on You go, but you don't necessarily remember it. You wouldn't necessarily point back to all the sermons you've ever heard and say, that one, and 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 that one changed my life. And yet, we need it weekly. Think about it like food. How many of your meals do you remember? Can you remember what you had uh, on your meal plan last week? Can you run through? Yep. (laughs) Can you remember uh, maybe a month ago what you ate for dinner each night? Can you remember your meals? No, did you eat? Of course you did, right? Of course, of course we did. Maybe a handful of meals in your life really stand out. That restaurant, right? That trip, that wedding, that whatever, that meal was so special. You remember for us, it's pizza in Italy. Our first time there, I remember getting a, you get like a personal pizza all to yourself and it it was amazing, right? There are some meals that really stand out. And so, with the teaching of the Word of God, it's a lot like that. Not every sermon, not every morning at church is going to stand out in your mind for for years and decades to come. And yet, you need to eat. We need to eat. And we trust that God changes us as we weekly gather and weekly hear the Word of God. He shapes us in ways often we're not even aware of. And so we're talking this morning about gathering. What happens when the people of God gather? It's fitting, right, because we've been doing this for 80 years, gathering for worship and fellowship. And we see that this commitment to gather extends far beyond those 80 years, back for millennia, seeing the people of God, worship, fellowship, breaking bread, the teaching of God's word, these habits and commitments that shape us and form us into a certain kind of people. It's my hope and prayer that we continue these ordinary rhythms for, for 80 years and beyond. But notice in the text, here in Troas, and and here this morning, we're not just talking about being the church of the ordinary. We're also the church of the supernatural. All right, because see what happens in verse 9. I mean, again, we'll read it again. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. As Paul talked on and on, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. It's amazing right? Poor Eutychus. Kid from the youth group, local neighborhood kid comes to church probably with promises of pizza and games and he shows up and Paul is teaching on and on until midnight and he falls out a window and dies. And then Paul runs down, throws himself on the boy and somehow brings him back to life. Now, maybe you're questioning, well, was he really dead? Was he just unconscious and they didn't know? But the text makes it clear. No, he was dead. Soda tells us. He was dead. And then verse 12 confirms the people took the young man home alive afterwards and were greatly comforted. Why were they comforted? Because he was dead. And now he's alive. I mean, imagine missing church that day. Like, <laughs> that was the day you were gone. And you had to hear, I mean, that what happened? Right? But think about it. As the church spreads, the power of the gospel goes forth, and the power of God's spirit is on display, often in, in the miraculous. We've actually seen parallels of miracles like this with Elijah in the Old Testament, with Jesus, with uh, Peter, raising people back to life. And now this event in Troas, the raising of Eutychus, it's indicative of the supernatural, of the transforming power of God at work through his church. But think about it, what is our church ultimately about? It's not just about being nice people and, and potlucks as, as special as those things are. We're not just some kind of strange human movement, social society that we want to, you know, uh, envelop people into. Well, this is a place where we believe that the one true God, the eternal triune creator God, sovereign God, almighty God, sustainer of all things, that he, in a special way, is present here by his spirit, through his people, that he's breaking into human history, saving sinners, restoring us to relationship with him, that he invites people like us to come to him. He says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. And he adopts us into his family. And he forgives us of our sins and gives us a new name and a new heart and a new identity. And it changes the trajectory of our lives and our existence forever. We're talking about eternal realities here. Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Eutychus is is an image of that. He goes from death to life. Isn't, Isn't that our message today? Death to life in Jesus? We were dead and now through faith in Christ we're made alive we were slaves to sin and now we're walking in freedom in Christ. We were blind and now in Christ we've been able to see? How? Not, not through our good works or religious performance or, or checking the box, but by his grace. Right? It's received as, as a gift. And so when we recognize that we have sinned against a holy God, and we cry out to him, he's merciful. We cast ourselves on his mercy. We put our faith in Jesus. We cross over, he says, from death to life. We were dead in our sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. And he doesn't stop there, right? He doesn't just make us alive and say, off you go. No, he invites us into his family. He calls us his own, his children. And he takes up residence by his spirit in our lives. And he begins to change us right from the inside out. And he shapes us to become more and more the people that we were meant to be, free of sin and shame and guilt and fear, alive and free in Christ. And though we die physically one day, we believe that just like Eutychus, we will be raised to new life, resurrection life bodily in Christ to live forever in his kingdom. And so for 80 years here, we celebrate the supernatural. Lives changed. Disciples made. Believers baptized. Families ministered to. Addictions broken. Eternities changed. Our city loved in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. And I'm just so excited because as we look out at our city, there are still people here, right, who don't know Jesus. Jesus. And through the ministry of this church and the witness of this church, there are more individuals and more families who are going to be reached with the gospel. And they're going to be changed forever by an encounter with Jesus. Through your invitation, through your witness, through your sharing of the gospel, they'll be changed and transformed and eternities will be altered. We get to be part of that great work of God in this place. And so as we move forward into the next 80 years, we must continue, church, to embrace the ordinary, right? gathering weekly, breaking bread, fellowship, encouragement, loving one another, listening to the word of God taught. And we also must embrace the supernatural and trust that God's power is still present here by his spirit, moving through his church to bring love and life to a world that so desperately needs both. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you, you are the hero of the story. And so we come and we celebrate this morning. Yes, all that uh, has happened here in this place, all that we've been able to participate in, the people who have led and acted and, and given and served Uh, And yet, ultimately, Lord, we know that it's your power that has uh, made an impact. It's your power that has come and transformed this place and these people. So we plant and we water, but it's you, Lord, who gives the growth. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that, first of all, you have been so gracious and merciful to us. That you've brought us who have trusted in you from death to life, slavery to freedom, blindness to sight. We, We worship you and thank you. And I pray that you fill us with your spirit, continue to send us out into your world with the hope and power of the gospel to love people and make disciples all for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
6: See, We have a couple more pieces of business. So before I do my thing, we have a short video to share from Tim Bergman and family. And we talk about worship, connect, grow and go. And we were actually able to help them go. So, uh...
2: Here's Tim. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm not the Oregon family. No, get yeah. out. All right, happy 80 years. <laughs> Woohoo. Okay. okay. Ready? One, two, three. Hi, happy, happy 80, 80 years. years. Woo-hoo! Woohoo! Woohoo! All right. No.
1: No. It's no, gonna. No. It's gotta work. Our family sure wishes we could be with you to celebrate 80 years of ministry in Venetian and around the world. However, I'll be in. New Zealand, helping start a Bible training school, which is what you support us to do. And it fulfills your mission to go. And the next month, I'll be in the Philippines doing the same thing. Now, I was born in 1968. and I've known Jesus as long as I could remember. And I got my call to missions when I was 12 as my family was studying with New Tribes Missions for a year. My family never made it to the mission field, but I got a heart for letting people know about Jesus and a heart for the nations as we sang songs about untold millions and about people needing the Lord. Well, I continued to do short-term mission trips as I studied to be a PE teacher. and was always on the mission field where my heart truly became alive. And I believe it was the providence of God that brought me to Benicia in 1995 when I got a job at the middle school across the street from First Baptist Church. And FBC became my home right away. With the humble and sincere leadership of Scott Henning and the wonderful community of people who loved Jesus, loved to celebrate, and were so kind to me. I had a wonderful three years of life in Benicia. And then I went with a group from First Baptist Church to an Urbana Missions Conference, and I filled out information about teaching overseas. And lo and behold, I get an offer to teach at an international Christian school in South Korea. And so in 1998, I went to teach in Korea for two years. And then in 2000, I was going to take a year off teaching to volunteer with Youth with a Mission in Australia. And that year off turned into a long-term call. And I remember in 2001, 2002, I was waiting for a mission in Australia, waiting for my visa, and Phil Wood comes to me and says, if if you're going to do this long-term, you need to get support. And that's when First Baptist Church got behind me and started to support me. And people of of First Baptist Church sent me. And so FBC became the sending church for my life in missions. And then in 2004, I get married to my Puerto Rican princess, Nellie Ann, I bring her to Benicia, and everyone seems to like her better than me. And the church reaffirmed their commitment to us, and even more people from the community FBC started to support us financially. And now it's 2022. We have four kids. We're based in Madison, Wisconsin, but we're still going to the nations. And FBC, First Baptist Church of Venetia, continues to be such a vital part of our mission as you send us to the nations. And because of your commitment to Jesus, to the mission, to make him known, and your commitment to us people around the world, know Jesus. People have given their lives to Jesus and people have been trained to make him known in places like India, Malaysia, Sri Lanka, Japan, Kyrgyzstan, South Africa, Tanzania, Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu, Trinidad and Tobago, Nicaragua, Honduras, Bangladesh, Nepal, Mexico, the Philippines and other nations that we've gone to as missionaries sent from First Baptist Church. You, First Baptist Church of Benicia, continue to impact the nations. We could not have gone, gone, And we cannot continue to go without your support. Your commitment to go has impacted the nations. So thank you for your commitment to us, your commitment to Jesus, and your commitment to make Jesus known around the world. There is a lot to celebrate, a lot to give thanks for. And we celebrate with you all that God has and will continue to do. So God bless you. And Lord willing, we will be able to see you in person soon.
6: It's so funny to see Tim up there, because I was with him at that missions conference in 1980, whatever, 1996, I think it was. Just a word, if he comes to visit, don't play cards with him. Mm-mm. He is a shark. Anyway, a couple of things before we leave today. One piece of business next Sunday Following Second Service, you have an opportunity to eat again because we're having our Walk Through Bethlehem informational meeting. You know, we're now, next week will be October 2nd. We're just a few months away. We're excited to be back in person. So come and join us in the Friendship Room next week following Second Service. We will answer all your questions. We will let you know how you can be involved. Because, in fact, one of the pictures on the slideshow where everybody was dressed up like they looked like they were from Bethlehem. That's how many people it takes, y'all. It takes us all behind the scenes and in front. So please come and be a part of that. Now, some direction for today. When we finish here, parents with kids and FBC kids, we are encouraging you to go get them quickly. The teachers are prepared because we need all of us to head to the front lawn because we're going to take a big group picture. Yes. So head out there we don't want to be out there in the sun for a very long time so the quicker everybody can go i know we all want to visit and say hi and all that that's what the barbecue's for all right when we finish the picture you can head to the friendship room and you can go ahead and start getting food and working your way through the line because there's a lot of us we'll pray once we're all in there don't feel bad if you want to eat first god jesus forgives you it's fine all right it's okay all right um There's a guest book in there, there's some other things, I'll give you some other direction when we're in there, but just kids, head to the front lawn, picture, and then go eat, all right? So, this week, what? No, go picture first, Michael, then go eat. I can do like choir, look at my handsome nose. All right. All right, Um, anyway, so this week, love your church, love the people around you. Tell somebody about Jesus if you get a chance, all right? We'll see you on the front lawn. Have a great week.